But my whole life, I've been doing stuff and waiting for reaction to go, am I okay? And I need you to tell me through paying me, giving me your attention, giving me your applause, the pat on the back, the approval, the whatever, Mm -hmm. that I'm okay. everyone. I'm Kara. And I'm Caleb. And welcome to the Kara and Caleb show. When it comes to life, we believe it is so important to ask the right questions, but also to learn how to live in the tension and the uncertainty of those questions. Yes. When we learn to live in the tension of unanswered questions, we become more resilient, more radiant, and more human. On this podcast, we explore the questions that have shaped and defined the lives of our guests. And then we dive deep into the beauty and the transformational process that occurs as we wait for answers that may or may not come as we expected. So join us as we explore what's possible when we are able to rest in the tension and live the questions of our lives right now. I've got the heart of a Hey everybody, I'm Kara. And I'm Caleb. And welcome back to another episode of our podcast. Yes, if you're new here, we just wanted to say welcome. And if you don't know, it's on this podcast that we explore the questions that have defined the lives of our guests. Kara and I, we're both strong believers that while we are all in search for answers in life, answers, uh, they are closed doors, right? But questions, questions invite us in. And what they do is they invite us into a transformational process that inevitably occurs as we're waiting for the answers to come as we expected or not as we expected. Mm, Questions are invitations. They are. So good. Yeah, we're so glad you're here, you guys. And if this episode, uh, if it speaks to you and you're enjoying it, if you want to screenshot it and share it socially, that would mean so much to us. We really love the opportunity to share all of these conversations with the world. And we love it when you help us do that. Mm. Today on the podcast, we got to sit down with Jeff Goins. And it is so, so good. It really was. It was so good. I met Jeff actually at a dinner party here in LA probably a year and a half ago. And by happenstance, I got to sit next to him. And the thing about Jeff is he's the guy you want to sit next to at a dinner (laughs) party. He's incredibly articulate and communicative and engaging. And we got into this really fun conversation about just the shifts in our spiritual lives. And I was like, you're somebody I want to be friends with. So since then, we've, we've followed each other socially. And I'm so excited that he jumped on with us to have this call. I know. And this is so funny for me because when you asked like, Caleb, do you know Jeff? And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, I don't know him, but I've been following Jeff, you know, his journey, you know, since 2012 when I left the NFL and I had this moment where I kind of for the first time in my life ever articulated the way that I felt in the form of a blog post. I was so overwhelmed with feelings and I was like, this is amazing. Did I just connect with myself? (laughs) And it was something so foreign to me. But I remember like immediately doing a Google search and trying to figure out how to start a blog. Mm. Right. And the first person that pops up was Jeff. He's the expert. He he honestly was. And, you know, Jeff taught me how to basically build out my first blog and I was writing so much at that beginning um, uh, part of my journey but the funny thing is is I remember sending an email to Jeff and asking him Jeff I just have one quick question like I've been writing but at which point can I call myself a writer and he responded like with one sentence (laughs) that rocked me he said Caleb 
you get to call yourself a writer when you believe you are a writer. Wow. Right. And so, so that's that happened in 2012. And here we are in Los Angeles. And uh, oh, my God, so much has changed. And we just had an amazing conversation with Jeff. Um, he's done so, so much with his life. And I think me personally, I just have so much honor and admiration for people who are willing to dive into the depths of the deeper truths of their existence mm. and what makes them so human. And um, Jeff, that's exactly what he did is, you know, he, to use his language, burned his whole life down. Yeah. Right? He was so successful and he burned his whole life down so that he could really go and discover the deeper understanding of who is he yeah. and why is he here. It's so cool too because his entire work is about identity and really tapping into identity. And he is someone who, you know, even throughout this whole podcast says, I I'm not done chasing after understanding who I am. Mm. And he's really doing the work to do that. So if you don't know Jeff, he's the best-selling author of five books, including The Art of Work and Real Artists Don't Starve. His blog is called Goins Writer, and we referenced it earlier. But on the blog, he shares his thoughts on writing, on life, and on creative work. And because his entire work is centered around identity, he believes that we all have a creative gift worth sharing with the world. And that essentially is our art. So if you have a business idea, a book in you, or some other project that you want to start, his whole goal is to help you get that work out of you and completely into the world. Yes. He also debunks the myth that artists have to starve. He loves giving people the tools to take their passion and creativity for changing the world and actually doing something with it. This conversation with Jeff is raw and vulnerable, and we get to jump into some of our favorite topics, including trauma recovery work, uh, inner healing, spirituality, and so, so much more. But I will say that in the middle of our conversation, you'll have to bear with us because our lawn man, uh, who mows our yard and who we are so incredibly grateful for, grateful for, for him uh, so so thankful for him but he decided to mower yard in the middle of this conversation of so if you recording. hear if you hear a little bit of a hum or a loud hum just bear with us it's only for a couple of minutes and as always we really do hope that this podcast blesses you as much as it does us this recently um that all i've ever written about spoken about talked about thought about is identity mm. which is you know the answer to the question who am i i, I believe that activity follows identity that you yeah. have to first figure out who you are before you go give your gift to the world mm. now you can do lots of stuff in your life without knowing who you are um, but you're going to do it the way that I did it, which is it's going to create a lot of friction mm. and a lot of angst until one day everything falls apart, even if it's just internally and, and you're left to face the question, which is I've done all these things. Now, who am I really? And so personally, the thing that I'm grappling with these days is um, uh, what if I don't really know, you know, what if the thing that these feelings that I have inside of just not being okay, like, what if I lean into that a little bit, what am I going to find? And it, it scares me. Mm. You know, it's interesting. I was going to say, my question is, who am I? I think the real question that I've been trying to answer that I, that I try to answer on a daily basis is, am I okay? Mm. Yeah. Like everything from the amount of money I've made and tried to make. And I just did a, a, a webinar with 850 people. And there is a part of me that is being completely performative, right? Mm -hmm. Which is I 
understand myself. This is like the, <laughs> this is the least good version of myself. The, um, the, the, the most honest, but you know, vulnerable part of me, like there is definitely a part of me that sees myself through your eyes. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And if your eyes light up, I feel good. Mm-hmm. And if you turn away and, um, don't connect or don't laugh at the very, fu- it was a very funny joke. I don't understand why he didn't laugh at it. Yeah. Uh, like a part of me wilts. I mean, this is my conditioned self. This is the thing that I'm like leaning into and going, you know, is that healthy? Is that good? But my whole life I've been doing stuff and waiting for reaction to go, am I okay? And I need you to tell me through paying me, giving me your attention, giving me your applause, the pat on the back, the approval, the whatever, Mm -hmm. that I'm okay. That's so good. Tell me a little bit about when that when that realization started to come to you, when you started to realize that it might be a little bit of performanceism. I don't know where that comes from, uh, except that I, you know, I grew up in a chaotic home and I um, retreated from the chaos and I retreated into creativity, into mm-hmm. music, into drama, you know, performing plays, um, eventually that turned into, uh, acting, speaking, drawing cartoons, you know, but I think at a pretty early age, I believe that in order to feel special, uh, in order to get attention, uh, I had to, I had to do something. I had to do something that would impress you. Yeah. And I wasn't athletic. Um, I was smart and so, and I was chubby and overweight and I hadn't gone through puberty yet. And I had long hair and was, you know, this is the nineties guys. You remember mm-hmm. I wore lots of flannels upon flannels. Um, <laughs> and, and so I was, I was often mistaken for a girl in like fifth, sixth, seventh grade. Uh, so I had, I had very just low self-esteem, mm. but I was smart and I was creative. And so I like that became my identity, right. Is I will be the best at these things because I can't just be okay as I am. I have to do something. Um, and, and so I got really, really good at um, performance, particularly creative performance uh, and academic performance. Mm. And that was the way that I allowed myself to feel love was by getting good grades and doing things that people applauded. Yeah. yeah. What goes through your mind now if you are quote unquote performing or doing your work and people don't respond the way you maybe expect them to respond. Is there still this internal dialogue that's happening? That's questioning your worth and your value in life. And if so, how do you self-soothe or self-regulate that internal system? I'm working on it, Caleb. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it still happens. And I think the difference now is I'm aware of it. Yeah, that's big. Like today I woke up and I thought of a converse, a conversation that I had yesterday. Um, and I thought I said this thing and I think that person didn't like that thing. And, uh, and I feel a pain in my chest or sometimes I feel like sick in my stomach. I feel a discomfort in my stomach, mm. you know? So this is like codependent, you know, deep seated stuff right. that, for years I just used to make lots of money and achieve fame. Like I was just like, I'm not okay unless you're okay. So I'm going to make you okay. And I'm going to hunt you down and uh, entertain you, help you, 
um, get you to love me, whatever it is. You know, I'm going to go over the top in terms of my performance to get you to be okay so that I can feel okay. Mm. And I still feel those triggers now, like in something as commonplace as having a conversation with a friend, me saying something that maybe offended them. And then the next day feeling bad about it and wanting to call them, text them <laughs> like aggressively and boldly hunt them down to make sure everything's cool. Right. Yeah. And maybe I apologize. Maybe I buy them lunch, whatever it is, like just over the top, got to make sure everything's okay. And so I'm aware of it now. So I feel these feelings. And the most recent practice is I just, I go, oh, I feel that thing. I'm going to breathe through it because mm, the feeling that. eventually dissipates. And I was, I, I'd been going to therapy for five, six years. And um, I uh, recently started seeing a new therapist after kind of taking a, I don't know, six, eight month hiatus. And uh, we're talking about kind of some alternative forms of therapy. And, and, I, and I said to her, um, okay, like, I'm ready to go. You know, like we did the introduction, getting to know you thing. I was like, all right, can we meet again later this week? Do you want to do a double session? You know, yada, yada, yada. She's like, uh-huh. She said, um, can you feel yourself trying to rush, rush through this discomfort? You're mm. trying to rush the process. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that's my whole life is getting through the uncomfortable moments as yeah. quickly as possible. Yeah, getting out of that. And I think the practice now is to just sit with it and breathe through it and realize um, that I'm okay even when my body is sort of freaking out in mm. the moment. Like you need to call this person. And so I think the awareness now allows me to feel uncomfortable and not have to do anything about it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, I can definitely relate to so much of this as a perfectionist, as a, a like uh, really a four wing three and my three really comes mm. out in unhealthy ways. Um, and this desire yeah. to be seen and to be accepted, I learned at a very young age was met through performance. And so life obviously just becomes one yeah. big performance, but I'm curious, have you seen levels behind your, or the levels of your ambition fluctuate as you have learned how to become more aware of why you're doing what you're doing and trying to move that motive from this need to be seen, this need to be accepted, this need to be approved of, uh, which is driven by fear and which is an excellent motivator. But then you get to this point where it's like, no, I'm going to live from this place of radical wholeness, radical acceptance and live from my truth and live from this place of I'm already so deeply accepted that I don't live for the acceptance of others. I've learned in my experience, there was this whole almost like pendulum swing of motivation and ambition. And there was a time period where I felt very, you know, ambitionless, less, like less ambition. I don't know if that's the right word, but less ambition. So I'm wondering if you've experienced that yeah. and how you've been able to process that especially as a high achiever um, that has served you so well for so long. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I experienced the same exact thing, Caleb. I, um, I re I don't know. I mean, it's, it's fascinating, right. To hear, you know, like the perspective of like an athlete, cause it's a whole different kind of performance. And yet it sounds like very similar themes. I'm doing this. I'm driving myself really hard. Fear and shame are big motivators. It's never enough. Got to keep going. And people literally see me do this thing. Right. Mm -hmm. I remember about two years ago, everything kind of 
burnt down. Many of my friends called it my existential crisis. I didn't know what to call it. I just felt I like everything that mattered to me no longer mattered to yeah. me. And um, what happened was, uh, and you guys can maybe relate to this, is I was far more successful than I ever thought I would be. I came from a small town in Illinois of 1,100 people surrounded by cornfields. Mm -hmm. And I was more successful, frankly, than most of my peers. Um, And, um, you know, uh, surpassed my expectations, my family's expectations. And yet I wasn't like, I didn't, I didn't feel any of it. Like I felt uh, like a failure. And I, I told a friend of mine, Ian Cron, who's a psychotherapist and a priest, I said to him one night on his porch, drinking whiskey, hanging out, saying, I know that other people think what I've done is success. I know that people say that's success. And all of it feels like failure to me. Like, I, I know that. I know I, I can, I can uh, intellectually say, sure, making mm-hmm. millions of dollars, reaching millions of people working for myself, having more time and money freedom than I ever thought I would, or even that I had a few years ago is quote unquote success. And I don't feel any of it. It doesn't feel good. It feels like not enough. Mm. And part of that was because I knew people that were more successful than me that had more than I had, but I also knew they had this, a lot of them had the same burning questions. And I noticed that some of them were happy but I knew that their success and their happiness were two different things, meaning the yeah. success didn't make them happy, uh, that they were sort of independent of each other. And, and so, yeah, like one day I realized, oh, this thing that I call Jeff Goins, <laughs> GoinsWriter.com, um, is not me. It mm. was a character that I created based on th- the aspects of my personality that I thought would be most attractive to people. Um, it was a character that I created to get love and it didn't work because huh. I don't feel, I don't feel any love. And 2018 was the year I said, burn it all. <laughs> like mm-hmm. who cares? I literally stopped working. I went to the park every day for hours and just went for walks and meditated and thought like, what is this existence anyway? Um, and, um, I eventually came to a place of self-acceptance, not through realizing that I was loved. I don't know, you know, what your experience has been, but to me, I I live in my head so much, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, uh, uh, another therapist, lots of therapists, uh, another therapist told me, he said, you don't feel your feelings. You think them. Yeah. And, and so you can eloquently talk about your inner life without actually experiencing it. And, 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 and that angst that I felt about my success was that, which was, it didn't, it didn't feel like anything good to me. It it made me feel worse because I just was seeing all the things I hadn't accomplished. And so I actually had to experiment with doing the opposite of all the things that I usually would have done, i.e. measuring things. I just Mm -hmm. stopped measuring things. My weight, the amount of money in my bank account, how many books I had sold, all the things that I would measure every day, every week, every month. And if it wasn't more than the last month, I would feel bad about it. And if it was more, I would feel good about it for a minute, but it'd be like a hit of a drug and I would just need more. And I I had to burn all that down. I had to... Um, gain a bunch of weight, do, like just learn to trust myself by doing things that I normally would have just used 
fear and shame to keep myself kind of caged in. Um, I, I experimented with all of it and I was like, what if I'm okay? I don't, I don't think I'm okay, but what if I am? Mm -hmm. And I act as if that's true. And I'm not worried about going to hell. I'm not worried about being a bad person. I'm not worried about people thinking badly about me, which was really the thing that I was most concerned about. Um, and I just like tried some things. I'll either die or end up homeless or not. And let's just maybe see. Mm, that's so good. I can relate to that so much. I also in 2018 had a little bit of a, a blow up year of life. But as you were talking, it mm. reminded me. Um, I was. Can I we was, just take a minute to acknowledge we've all blown our life up? Yes, and it's okay. <laughs> and it's been the best it's a thing that's ever thing. happened. It's to actually us. the best thing that I've ever done. Um, mm. I so I in 2018 I lived in England for six months and. I remember getting so many Instagram messages and like messages from friends being like, your life is so glamorous. Like everything is so great. You're living in England. Everything worked out for you <laughs> to, to live in yeah. England and have this like epic experience. And, and even, you know, I think in the, in the age of social media, we can attest to on, on the outside, what things look like is not actually a representation of the internal world at all. And there was this moment where I was sitting in England and I remember thinking, I am so disconnected from my life. I don't feel connected to anything that's happening. I don't feel connected to the emotions. And similarly, Jeff, I'm probably, I've been in therapy since I was 18 and I had the best vocabulary for describing my feelings, but to actually sit in them and feel was a totally different ball game and something that I didn't even know that I wasn't doing. Like I thought like, Oh, I'm sad. I'm feeling sadness. But it was always after the fact where I was verbally Mm -hmm. telling someone the process of how I got to that emotion. So I'm curious with you, what does it look like to really sit inside of the emotion? Has it, has it been difficult? Was it something that you, you know, became aware of and it just became a natural thing or what has that process looked like? I think to be honest, I'm pretty new to it. Um, uh, I, have struggled with my weight most of my life. And I think, um, when I feel uncomfortable, I assume I have to do something. Mm -hmm. Mm. I've got to, um, I feel lonely. I've got to call someone. Mm -hmm. I've got to pick up my phone. I've got to, I've got to look at porn. I've got to, uh, eat something. I've got to work out. I've got to, Uh, confess my sins i have to pray even like meditation became a thing to do you know and to just like be with it what i think i mean it's actually not hard right it's not hard to just sit with a feeling as long as you can divorce yourself from the story of what's going to happen happen. as a result of this which is a future-oriented story Meaning I'm uncomfortable right now and my body is freaking out. Could be like whatever, shame, mm. fear, whatever. Um, but in the moment, like my body's trying to protect myself and my ego is saying, if we don't get out of here right now, we're going to die. Mm-hmm. We're going to be here forever. It's going to be terrible. But the reality is in the moment, it's not that bad. Mm. The story that this is going to last forever is what sucks. Yeah. And so this morning I literally w- wake up, I feel this pain in my chest and it's, and I, and I know like the thing that I said is not like a terrible thing. I, you know, like it, it, 
it was it was just a thing that I said that somebody didn't like, and I'm like, but not, maybe they're thinking this right now, and they're not going to talk to me again, and oh, and I just want somebody to tell me that it's going to be okay, but then I don't believe it, mm-hmm. and and I I just kind of zoomed out for a second, and I was like, look at me telling stories about this thing that happened in the past, about what's going to happen in the future. And the truth is right now you have a little bit of a pain in your chest. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. I'm going to breathe and just be here because I can't be anywhere else. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. And the pain goes away and I was okay the whole time. I'm okay with the pain. I'm okay without the pain. I'm still me. Uh, and as long as I don't, believe the story of what might happen in the future is happening now and I'm just be here now. Um, I'm okay. So I think for me right now, it's, I feel uncomfortable. I want to do something, anything, anything. And to become aware of that and then to become skeptical because I'm generally skeptical of uh, you know, everybody else's ideas right. and opinions and things. Is that always true? How do you know that's true? So I've started to question my own assumptions. You mm. know, I don't believe everything that I think anymore. Mm. Yeah, that's you know? good. good. Have you, um, have you read Byron Katie? I'm reading her right now. Oh, yeah. She's it's so that, good. right? It's like, is that true? Of it's course like, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Can you be absolutely sure that it's true? Well, well no. <laughs> I got a, I got a question for you, Jeff. Do you think uh-huh. that people have to reach the epitome of success or what they have thought was going to provide them the answers that they've been looking for, this level of achievement or success or whatever it might be, to actually realize that what they're actually looking for does not come through this upward trajectory of life, but actually comes in form of a descent, a letting go, a surrendering? Do you think people I have think, to? Yeah. I, I mean, I heard a friend who... Um, uh, who uh, is is an addict, um, goes to Al-Anon, she said, rock bottom is a choice. Yeah. Mm. And and that's, that's the thing, right? Like maybe, maybe your rock bottom is you end up in a gutter. uh, And and mine is like, you know, a little bit of indigestion before I realize I need to eat more plants or whatever, you know? And it's like, it's not the thing. It's not the circumstance. It's not, you know, because like I knew plenty of people who were way more successful, quote unquote, than me. And I, and I was like, I don't, I don't need to, I don't need $10 million to, to know that like, um, 10 X of what I've done is probably not going to give me, you know, it's, it's, it's going to give me 10 X of what I have, which is the same, like not, not that much. Mm. Um, like I had seen enough people go down the road that I was on that were just as unhappy as I was or, or had just as many questions or they were just as insecure as I was that I knew I didn't. I didn't need to keep doubling down. I mean, for five, six years, I doubled my income every single year, every, you know, year over year over year. And so it was just like, okay, well, last year I made $250,000. This year I made $500,000. Next year I'm going to make a million dollars. And and it just kept going. And I was like, I'm not doubly happy every year. I'm like, not even, right. I'm just kind of like, this is lame. <laughs> you know, what's the point? But it, the, the goal was so important to me. I do think, Caleb, that we have to chase enough illusions to realize that we're chasing after the wind. That's good. Um, Like we have to get enough things in life that we tell ourselves, if I don't get this, I won't be happy, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you get it and you're not happy, you know, and you're like, well, what the hell? 
you know, and, and you do that enough times before eventually you wake up and you go, okay, um, I've got to change my approach. And look, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously it's, it's different for everybody. Yeah. Right. Um, but I do think, I believe now that the best thing for a person to do is get everything that they want. Yeah. And then realize it doesn't make them happy. And yeah. then they have to ask the deeper question. Well, what then? What yeah. now? Mm-hmm. Oh, Jeff speaking my language really good <laughs> it is really good and <laughs> i think you know i remember when i was reading uh following uh, falling upward by richard Rohr, and he does such a great job at really articulating this in a way of um basically yeah, so categorizing good. the first half of life and transitioning into the second half of life and he he talks about right there in between the two there's usually some sort of loss that happens whether it's literally the loss of a loved one or maybe the loss of a reputation or a loss of a dream or whatever it might be but there is something that comes and interrupts our life and makes us question the deeper truths about life uh, another psychotherapist uh Henry Swift Deer who I just admire so much really talks about it in forms of our first half of life is our survival dance it's our need to be seen as the yep. way we create our ego and um, everything that we've talked about, but then the second half of life is our sacred dance. And I'm personally very passionate on creating space to help people um, walk that journey through that liminal space of unbecoming, of undoing, of unraveling everything that they thought yeah. to be true in life so that they can actually step into that sec- sacred dance um, and experience life in a way that they were truly created to experience life, which I would even argue is the kingdom of God being advanced here on earth and mm-hmm. what Jesus actually was referring to when he would call it the abundance of life. Um, how, as you have been working towards stepping into your own sacred dance, what are some like things that you have noticed, whether small or large, how has life really changed for you? Cause I know for me, like food tastes different. Right. Mm. I actually smelled the roses from the rose garden. I was I was taking a walk um, more just integrated into my body. And it was just this complete transformation um, of an experience of life for me. And it's really elevated my experience. I'm curious if there's like real life examples of how it's changed for you. I think uh, I have I have a greater sense of humor about the story that I'm living Mm. Meaning it used to be life or death, um, you know, have this conversation, make this money, impress these people. And if you don't, you're a bad boy, you know, mm. and, and you're going to feel that punishment in your body. Like I'm going to feel uncomfortable. I'm going to literally make myself sick until I can fix it. Mm. Right. And now, like even today, I was like, and you're, you're kind of a crazy person. You know, like you're a little bit crazy because you said this one thing and now, and you actually think that this person is thinking about you, talking about you. <laughs> Can you know that's true? Do you have, have any idea that this is true? Is this happening? You have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can watch um, the, the lower self version of me. You know, I think in terms of true self, false self, I can watch the ego freaking out, trying to protect me. Yeah. And um, because I live in my head, you know, um, I don't, uh, I'm trying to live in my body more, but I, I really have spent my life living through ideas and stories. It's so funny. It's hilarious mm. to, you know, look at a dwindling bank account and go, look at you freaking out about that right now. That's funny. Yeah. Um, because when it was going in the other direction, you weren't any happier. So what, yeah. what are you doing to yourself <laughs> right now? Yeah. Uh, and it's just, um, I have this sort of, not always, but in a healthy space, I have a bit of a detached perspective on my own life. 
And, and it's, it's really interesting. You know, I, I wrote myself a letter recently, um, like the, the, the adult version of me writing to the child version of me, yeah. just saying, you're doing great. Mm-hmm. I am so proud of you. Look at you trying so hard to get these people to love you. Mm. Um, like you're, you're, I know I see you, you're doing amazing. I, I read it to myself this morning. Cause I just, I was feeling the feels and I started crying. And um, I, I think for me um, it's, it's detachment. It's mm. detaching from the story that I was telling about myself and experiencing life as a consciousness, you know, as a soul. Um, and, and looking at these other parts of my life that are just stories, you know, uh, if I make this much money, I feel, I feel good. If the audience laughs or claps, I feel good. And I still feel those things. That's what I think is interesting about it is I, I'm not disengaged. I'm detached. Mm. So I'm, I'm seeing the pain and, and actually experiencing it, but not going, this is going to be forever. And this is, you know, and this is our new reality and we're going to die here kind of thing. I don't become it. I just kind of witness it. I watch it and, and experience it and go, Oh, okay. Well that, that, that's, that's, that's what's, that's what's on the menu for today is, yeah. is pain and, and sadness. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. And tomorrow maybe there'll be happiness and joy or maybe a moment from now, you know, that's what's so funny is like you wake up in the morning and you go, everything's great. Everything's amazing. I'm doing good. And then like two hours later, you're like, this is the worst. I'm lonely. Nobody loves me. Yeah. Yeah. The waves of emotion that come and go. I love what you said. I I was going to say, it sounds like inner child work a little bit. And then you referenced writing a letter to your younger self, but just that ability to step back and, and be detached and, and almost treat yourself like a little kid, like, wow, Look at that narrative you're telling yourself. That's really, that's really fascinating. I think it's such a healthy approach because it, it does create space for you to offer yourself self-compassion and gentleness, but it also doesn't allow that emotion to overtake your, your very existence. You can, it's right. like the observance of it, but not the, the swallowing of it. And we, most of us do this pretty well with other people, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm great at doing this with my friends. Of They're course. freaking out, you know, a friend of mine texted me, should I, you know, should I text this guy? Should I not? He's probably thinking, da, 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 da. and I'm like, well, that's so interesting. Why do you think that? And, and is that true? Do you know that's true? And then how do you feel when you think that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and all we really have to do is like, be a good friend to ourselves, you know, be a good parent to ourselves and, um, I think we think we're one person, yeah. you know, and, um, uh, you know, you, you watch inside out and Pixar movie, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're not, you're all these right. things. And I love what Anne Lamott said about this. She said, I am all the ages I've ever been. Mm. And I love that idea that there's a 15 year old who is still afraid of girls rejecting him right. and, and, and still self-conscious about his weight you know, and, mm-hmm. and still doesn't like it when somebody comes behind him and slaps him on the back. Cause he's, you know, insecure about his body. And there's a 27 year old in me who's ambitious about taking over the world. And, and there's a six year old in me. And like, there is an I, mm-hmm. I mean, this is my mystical language about it now. Um, you know, there is an I a capital I in all these little knees that can observe and speak to them and experience all of them. And, and I really do think that is the point of, of life of existence is to experience it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very well said. That's so good. I was reading this morning um, and the, the book that I was reading, she was talking about how the body, it's so miraculous that it, it's so good at learning patterns, 
But the mm-hmm. body itself has no ability to distinguish what's a helpful pattern and what's a self-destructive pattern. So in order to relearn, we have to, we have to be able to step back and observe the emotion because when we're just stuck in the pattern, we actually have no ability to, to reshape that pattern. So I love that. Mm. I love that you're referencing just this ability to step back. Um, Jeff, I met you at a dinner party. Yeah. Uh, probably what, a year and a half ago, two years uh-huh. ago? Yeah. And I remember sitting next to you and having this great conversation over wine at Kathy Heller's about post-evangelicalism. And yeah. just kind of our, we both were raised in quite conservative situations in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious how um, your spiritual life has evolved, especially in this process of really tapping into your inner world and, and healing trauma. How has your spiritual life influenced or been influenced or played a part in that unraveling for you? So um, I didn't grow up going to church, really. My dad was raised Southern Baptist his parents were from Alabama, but he was raised in Chicago. And then my mom was raised uh, Roman Catholic, mm. you know, sort of like a lot of Roman Catholics. Uh, and, you know, we, we basically didn't go to church, uh, like kind of sort of off and on, like any good Midwestern American probably mm. does, you know, I believe in Jesus and apple pie. Um, and some, uh, in college, I met a group of what I, at the time I would have called born again Christians, mm. evangelicals. And this was the first time that I'd ever met a group of people that lived like they said they believed. Mm. And, you know, I grew up with um, a lot of trauma, a lot of chaos. Uh, and so when I heard the gospel, as I understood at the time, uh, I like to say that it told me something that I already knew about myself, which is that um, I was broken. You know, I, I, you know, like Romans road, there's, there's a hole in your heart, a Jesus shaped hole in your heart and, uh, God can fix it. And you just have to admit what a terrible, wretched person you are. Mm. Game on. I already knew that. I yeah. knew something was broken. You know, Enneagram four. I know I've known something was missing my whole life. Right. You yeah. Tell me that. yeah. And I realized, um, you know, looking back on this now, um, uh, I, um, I never wanted to be good. I just didn't want to be bad. Mm. And there's a big difference. So being good was a way of not getting punished for being bad. Good grades, making money, becoming a good Christian, succeeding. These are all just different, different versions of good for me. Mm. And every time I crossed the finish line, I would just move it out another 20 yards and say, keep going. Yeah. So when I became a Christian, I was like, I'm going to be the best Christian possible, right? So I'm going to read the Bible, pray and fast. I'm going to be a missionary. This is the best version of a Christian. I don't know if you knew this, but that's that's what it is. So <laughs> so I go do that. And then I get into, um, you know, uh, Holy Spirit stuff and, uh, you know, speaking in tongues and, you know, uh, all this stuff, you know, second baptism. Just like, is there more to do? I'll do it. Is there is there ways to be better and improve upon this? And so what I do with almost anything, you know, people talk about minimalism. I'm a maximalist. Yeah. I, I will do everything to excess, eat, <laughs> drink, sex, whatever, like give me all of it until I'm sick of it. Right. Mm. So I took, so I studied religion in college. I was going to become, you know, full-time, go into full-time ministry as a missionary, whole deal. Um, and did. <clears throat> and, and I just took the thing as deep as it could possibly go. 
And um, in 2018, I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me anymore. (laughs) And I remember running into a friend one day. Um, This was a few months after I'd said all the things that I'd ever done didn't feel like success. They felt like failure. And I was just trying to figure out the God thing. And and I, I wasn't like, it wasn't, political for me. It wasn't like they don't like gay people, you know, like it wasn't yeah. any of that. I mean, right. that, those are, those are fine things, but I was, I was, didn't have a problem with any core theology. It just didn't resonate anymore. And I didn't know why. And I didn't know what it meant. Cause if you were to ask me, do you believe in God? Do you believe the Bible's true? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Yada, yada, yada. I would go, yeah, sure. Of course. Mm. But it didn't, it wasn't working for me anymore. Mm. And I remember running into a friend one night, uh, after going for a run and um, stopping at Whole Foods for a bar of chocolate because I believe in balance. I, <laughs> Me too. Um, I said, um, I I feel like evangelicalism, uh, I feel like the church as I understood it, you know, um, is like being in the ocean, treading water, having conversations, keeping your head above water. And you're talking about, you're describing what the ocean floor looks like. Mm. And I'm so tired of treading water. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I said, I'm just curious about what it's like down there. Yeah. And I had said this a couple of times to some people and they're all like, yeah, I'm tired too. I'm tired mm. too. Or, and I had some other friends who were like, yeah, but just stay tethered to the dock. Yeah. I was like, the dock? We're in a lake now? What are you talking about? What dock? <laughs> stay tethered. Uh, and I remember I had a friend say this, a pastor friend say this. He's like, you got to stay tethered to the dock. I said, what's so the dock? Yeah. He said, well, the dock is truth. The dock is scripture. Wow. I said, oh, oh. I said, you, I, I said, you think God is the dock. I think God might be the water. the water. Where can I go to escape your presence? When I ascend to the heights, you are there. When I descend to the depths, you are there. I can't get away from you. Um, and so I'd said this to a lot of people. And then I said this to my friend at Whole Foods over a bar of chocolate. And he said, you know, it's down there, right? Mm. I said, I have no idea. He said, everything. Uh. And he was right. Yeah. So how do I think of my spiritual journey now? Um, I was trying so hard to hold it together with the right answers. And I would, I would never say, you know, I'm not a Christian because I think that is a wonderful tradition that, brought me into reality and woke me up to a a deeper way of, of being and living uh, and experiencing life. And I remember having a conversation with somebody else where they were like, so are you an atheist now? Like you're agnostic. I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think so, but I also don't care about words anymore. Mm. Um, You know, and, and, and probably the, like if I had to put a title on it, I like, I like the term mystic, you know, I'm into Richard Rohr, Anthony DeMello, you know, I like that, that stream of, of tradition. Mm. Um, I also read a lot of Eastern mystics and stuff as well. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, I said to somebody, I said, the best way that I can think of it is I didn't walk away. I didn't walk away from anything. I right. went deeper into it. Mm. And I'm very fascinated with when you get deep into any tradition, uh, Islam, Hinduism, uh, Judaism, Judaism, uh, and uh, Christianity, uh, when you get into the mystic literature, it sure sounds like they're talking about a lot of the same things. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's always ego death. Yeah. 
There's always a transcendent connection with all things at the root of everything is love. And, um, I find great comfort in that. And, and there's a, and, and there is a younger version in, in me, a much more legalistic version of me who goes, but they think this and you think that and da, da, da. but, um, yeah, I'm kind of okay with it all. Yeah, and, so um, I, um, I, I think all, all is well. And, and our stories are what prevent us from the reality of love. And so I've got a lot of work to do working through these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, it's interesting. I'll read the Bible or something. And I, I don't, I'm not one of those deconstruction kind of people who are like, it's all bull crap, right. but it, it has a, a different tone to it now. Yes. And I go, you know, it's like you'd Caleb talking about smelling the flowers. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, that's what that means. That's it. Yeah. That's what that, I, I thought it meant this. I thought it meant Jesus was coming back with his angels, but it might mean this other thing. And yeah. that's interesting. Wow. I love that. I have to tell you, I have the word water, the water tattooed on my back because similarly I had a experience probably in 2017 where my entire understanding of God came down to the water and I realized I had been living my life yeah. on the shore and dipping my toes in and playing on the shore. And I read this beautiful poem called um, Breathing Underwater, and it's in the Richard Rohr book. And she talks about uh, like leaving her her home on the sand to build a coral castle under the water. So now when I reference my spiritual life, I actually say like, I'm in the coral castle or I'm underwater. And I love love that that's like a, a theme that you understand. It's so good. Yeah. So good. I think what you just really experienced has been like the deeper mm. longings and cravings that I've been after, you know, I guess the majority of my own life. And that w- I realized what I was experiencing was sh- being told on how to tread so well. And I could out tread anybody. Yeah. Same. But nobody taught me how to just sink to the bottom. And I remember when I moved to Canada after walking away from the NFL and walking into this church and looking at this pastor and saying, sir, you don't know me, but I need help. Can you help me? And he said, yes. And I remember one of the first things he said to me, he says, you're looking for what we call resurrection life. And he says, but the problem is, is you haven't lived a resurrection death. You can't resurrect Mm -hmm. something that has not yet died. Are you ready to die? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And I remember yeah. him walking away and he looked at me and he says, Caleb, you're trying to find the light, but you first have to learn how to live in the dark. Mm. And that journey of just oh. falling and letting go, it was a complete shift in heart posture too. Cause my entire heart posture has been this posture of willfulness and willpower. Yeah. Now it was wrestling your heart into the posture of willingness, a willingness to let go, a willingness to surrender. And what you find at the bottom, you did such a beautiful job at just articulating that, um, is really the life, the life that we're all looking for. And the thing is, is even Roar talks about how, like, regardless of what religion you've grown up with, it's like, we're all connected to the same breath. We're all connected to this one God. And it's redefined and shaped my understanding of my own Christianity. I'm a Jesus guy. I love Jesus. I'm a Christian, but wow, it's made me look back in retrospect and be like, I was living such a small life with God. Like I have put God in the smallest box and I'm still trying to deconstruct that box. But it's just amazing, like that correlation of finding 
this abundance of life directly correlated to this willingness to deconstruct and also reconstruct, right? Just don't stop at the deconstruction, but make sense, go a level deeper and make sense of all of this. So I say all that to tell you, God, I really appreciate what you just said. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I love that. You know, it's, I know that that's kind of a, I live in Nashville, which is like, you know, deconstruction central here. Everybody's (laughs) got these super uh, religious paradigms and and many of them make lots of money off of a very conventional uh, religious, uh, uh, construct, and, you know, so everybody's kind of deconstructing these things. Um, but what I think is funny, it, it seems to me that the purpose of deconstruction is not necessarily to create a new construct for the sake yeah. of having a new, cause the whole point was like, this thing didn't work. It wasn't real. It was an illusion, right? It wasn't, it was a thing that worked for a while, but doesn't adequately express all of reality. It's right. like a boat in the water. And you're like, I can swim and maybe I'm a fish. Maybe I can breathe underwater. Holy cow. It's, mm-hmm. it's leaving the Truman show and, and being so afraid to, right. you know, leave the Island and realize there's a whole world around you. And, um, I think the point of deconstruction for me was to realize I don't need another construct. Yes. Um, but the point, but the point of a construct is to understand reality. It's like a model. It's an illustration. It's a way to look at something. Um, even scripture is that right. It's like, um, it's words about God are not the same thing as experiencing mm-hmm. God. And as a word guy, I never knew, I never understood that, that I can yeah. believe things about God without actually experiencing the reality of God. Mm-hmm. And one is way better than the other. Yes. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. I have a, uh, one more question and, okay. um, First off, I just want to say thank you. This has been absolutely amazing. And oh. I personally want to honor you. Yeah. And um, just for the courage um, and the bravery that you've demonstrated in your life to be willing to ask those hard questions and being willing to burn it all down and to walk away and to step into that mm. very just unknown territory of what, you know, that liminal space. Uh, yeah. It takes a lot of heart, man. And because you, because people, like you that are willing to do that you are honestly lighting a fire that's going to help so many other people see Mm -hmm. um and i just want to honor you for that thank you i really appreciate that i feel that yeah and the last question i have for you is is it enough if your life never changes from this moment forward is is it enough (sighs) is it enough um No, it's not enough if I continue to live with the stories about myself that I've told. Mm. I think I've accomplished enough. I've experienced enough um, that I can plumb the depths of those experiences and the meaning that it creates and discover around those experiences. But if I stopped, if I stopped exploring me, um, no, I, I, I don't think that would be enough. Now, success, money, people knowing me, um, at least as far as I've experienced, I've gone in the opposite direction, meaning like I'm making less money, I'm reaching fewer people. Uh, my goals have shifted quite a bit over the past few years, and I feel quite satisfied in that. But, you know, I'm, I'm so interested in personal exploration. You know, um, that I could spend the rest of my life, maybe, I don't know, quarantine is certainly testing this, but <laughs> I think I could spend the rest of my life on a mountain, maybe with a few people. Um, <laughs> and just like 
like consider the deep things of me and of God and of all, of all things of reality. Um, but I, I, no, I don't think it's enough for me to go. I, I am what I think I am. Cause I, I think I'm a lot more and I want to spend the rest of my life figuring out what that is. You know, there's this, uh, it's been attributed to C.S. Lewis. I don't know if he actually said it, but you don't have a soul. You are a soul. Mm-hmm. And I love that TED talk called Stroke of Insight where the neuroscientist has a stroke. Yep. She dies. Her consciousness leaves her body. She's sort of like floating around and then they revive her and it, like her soul kind of gets sucked back into her body like in Ghostbusters. Mm. And she has this thought before her consciousness re-enters her body, however that works, before she gets, you know, uh, revived. Um, She literally dies and gets resurrected, right? Mm. She has this thought, um, how can all of me fit back into that little body? Mm. Wow. And I think, you know, Caleb, you're talking about death and resurrection. I think all three of us are describing similar experiences of uh, an earlier story, an earlier version of ourselves dying and really us recognizing some transcendent part of ourselves recognizing that's not me, right? That's just the body. That's just the, the, the meat suit or whatever. Um, it's the ego. And, 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 we, and we connect with um, a much more transcendent part of ourselves. And so when I think about success or launching a book or having a podcast or whatever, I think, cool, that's a body, right? That's a construct, how can all of me fit into that? It can't, but um, the, the very nature of a dual universe mm-hmm. is the immaterial has to find matter. It has to express itself through matter. Richard Rohr talks about this in the universal Christ um, that's got, you know, Christ is another name for everything. Yeah. You know, and the first incarnation is the big bang and, and the, the nothingness becoming something, the singularity and the singularity expressing itself through everything. And I think we do that in, in life. Our, our souls find ways to express themselves through uh, success, failure, achievement, heartbreak. And I think that's the, that, that's the game is to continue to find ways for this limitless transcendent part of ourself to express itself through this thing that we call life. I-